you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalm chapter 115, Psalm 115, Psalm 115. If you go ahead, grab your Bibles, turn right there. We'll continue our series in the Psalm this year. Recently, I was at a grocery store. I was at a grocery store on the other side of Cary. I walked in and I saw a friend of mine and he looked at me like, what are you doing here? And in my mind, I said, is it, is it not appropriate for me to come to your grocery store? The look on his face was like, why are you here when you have a grocery store right down the street from you? And, and something dawned on me as I was looking at the text this morning that we're going to study together is that that is sort of like the burbs. You have your own grocery store. It's coming to you. Matter of fact, we have Beaver Creek that's 10 minutes away from us. We have Briar Creek that's 14 minutes away from us, plus a couple of change with the toll. We have the new shopping center that has Gander Mountain. I don't know the name of it, but it's in Mooresville, and it's probably about 12 minutes from here. And hold the door because Parkside Commons is coming three minutes down the street. And that's, in essence, in essence, what takes place in where we live is there's a message that's being sent that, hey, guess what? You're the center. The message that's being sent to you and to I is that we are the center, that we're the center of these things. Well, if we continue to take a look at what happens when we become the center, there's a great warning, I think, that happens in our spiritual life. I think the danger that believing that we are the center then alludes to or forces us at times to become or, or, or get to the place where we start creating our own gods. And, and we call that idolatry. And, and, and some of us right now, we were saying, well, well what is idolatry? Well, what does that mean? I mean, if we've been in church for a long time, we've been familiar with the Bible, then we can take a look at the Old Testament like there's this king named Josiah and he was eight years old. And man, there was all kinds of idol worship that was going on and he destroyed that kind of thing. And then there's Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And we, we see all the kind of idols that he had to deal with. But, but one of the results, one of the results is that we in the burbs have a tendency to believe that we are at the center. And a result of that is we start creating our own gods. Now, let, let's just be quite honest. Sometimes we look at the scripture and we say, hey, well, you know, we don't really have a statue that we bow down. But we do have stadiums and what happens in stadiums. We don't really have a Greek goddess or a or Nanar, the, the, the moon god, or Nanagal, his wife, which Abraham bowed down to. Or we don't have Hermes or Hercules or those kinds of gods that people were bowed down to. But what we do have is we have athletes and celebrities and everything People magazine. And, and so what happens at times, our, our focus gets off of, of, of the one true God of creation those that have, have a relationship with Jesus, those that want to please him. And we have a tendency, we have a tendency to be drifting away and create our own gods and our own thing to worship. So let's take a look at what it says in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 4 says this, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Or that is in the water and under the earth. Why would God put that so early in the commandments? Why would it be so early? Because I believe that he realized very early on. That because of who we are. We are going to have a tendency to worship things that we make. Worship things that we want to follow. Other than him. 
God is a jealous God. He deserves our undivided attention. And in and, and Exodus chapter 20 basically says that. Now, God really knows what's best for us, and his best for us is himself, and he knows that. First of all, when we do think of idolatry, we have this idea, this, we conjure up this idea of primitive people bowing down. But Tim Keller makes an, an observation in his book, Counterfeit Gods is What is an Idol? I have this on the screen for you right now. Here's what he says. What is an idol? An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you only what God can give. He goes on to say this. Anything in life can serve as an idol, a God alternative, a counterfeit God. And so what we had then were they had statues that they made and carved images that they bowed down to. It was incomprehensible for them not to have some kind of an intangible thing to bow down to. But but see, what happens in our culture here in the West and right here in Northwest Cary, where we find ourselves, where God has sovereignly positioned, positioned and placed us, where we find ourselves is we find ourselves being blessed with good things that we make an ultimate thing. We find ourselves that God gives us these good things Man, we just really make it an ultimate or make it a God thing. And what I want to do is introduce you to a couple of people that have taken it really to a, an extreme. I, I want to do this in, in a light way, and I want to do this in, in a way that can encourage us over what can happen and also issue a warning. First person I want to introduce you to is, is Career Chris. Career Chris loves his job so much that his family's spiritual life is affected because of it. Because, see, God has given him a job. But, see, what career Chris has done is he's made it an undo. He's given it too much importance. And his family and his spiritual life is greatly affected because of his job and the God of his work. Then there's AAU Andy. AAU Andy. Now, this is what happens right now. I think it's important for my, I, I spent some time on the baseball field yesterday. Matter of fact, I spent several hours with my kids on the baseball field yesterday. I don't think it's wrong to be able to play sports and go to sports and travel and things like that. But I think what happens over time, if we take that as parents and place undue pressure on our kids, that we are playing sports all the time at the expense, at the expense of developing a personal relationship with Christ, and there is an undue balance. And what happens with AAU Andy and the family is that the God of sports replaces the God of the Bible. And then there's also, please like me, Larry. Now, I can tell you this right now, that what happens when we're at the center, we desire to make gods, that these gods, that we, we, God gives us these good things, and we, desire, we, we bow down to them. Please like me, Larry, is the person who, man, I just want the acceptance of people. I just want to be liked to the point where it overwhelms you and almost hinders your relationship with God and with other people because of your desire to be liked. Because as we live in the Burbs and we have all of these things coming to us, one message that the Burbs send to us, one message that the Burbs sends to us is that you're, you're at the center. And a result of that, of being at the center, one result of that is saying, hey, I'm going to make myself a God. And so a career can be a God. 
AAU, Andy, that can be a God. Sports can be a God. And then like me, I can tell you this right now that there's been great healing in my life by being at Northwest Community Church. And from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you. Because for a long, long time, for a long, long time, for about a year and a half, the God of my congregation was overwhelming me as the pastor of the Creek Church. I'd put undue pressure on myself to please the people that I was leading. And for the first time in my life, for for the first time in a long time, I would say that you have a great, great healing process for me in my heart. Because for the first time in my life in, in a long time, I feel like that I'm allowed to speak and teach from God's word just out of the overflow instead of performing. And from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you for that. You've been a great healing for me to be able to sit there and say, Matt, don't let this be a God. Don't let your desire to be liked or please people to hinder you for the cause of this great God that we serve. And so what happens when we come in here, if we think we're the sinner, if we think we're the sinner, then we create these gods like Career Chris, AAU Andy, and please like me, Larry. There's another one. There's name brand Nancy. Name brand Nancy. What is name brand Nancy? Like, man, she loves the good stuff, loves the things that she can buy. To the point that, man, I want the good stuff and I want the nice stuff. I want the name brand, not the, not, not, not the off brand. I, I don't want the Target version. I want the Belks version. I want the this version, that version. Listen, there's nothing wrong with the things that I'm talking about this morning. But what happens here, if we believe that we are at the center, then what happens is because of sin, we place that in an undue place in our life and we start worshiping those things. Our affection is drawn to it and our affection is drawn away from God and not to him. And like I said before, he wrote Exodus chapter 20 because he knows what is best for us and he is best for us. And so name brand Nancy is bound and hindered because of her desire to have the stuff. And then there is religious Reggie. Good old religious Reggie. What is, what, is his, what is his God? His God is the God of religion. If you were to ask Reggie, tell me about your personal relationship with Christ, he might look at you and say, I go to church every single day. I'm in every Bible study that ever walked on the planet. I've been in every Bible study. I've gone to church from birth. And what he talks about is he talks about his religion. Let me tell you this right now. Religion says you do and you are accepted. Then you are accepted. Jesus gave us a relationship that said, I did, now you're accepted. And there is a huge difference And religious Reggie, when he thinks he's at the center, all of a sudden gets overwhelmed with his religion. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, woe to you Pharisees. He rebuked their religious system. Introduced them to a relationship with himself. And then finally, there's workout Wayne. Workout Wayne. What does workout Wayne like to do? Workout Wayne is like all things workout, all things organic. I have a problem with one thing. I'm wondering what in the world and who thought it was a good idea to eat hummus or even to make hummus. Or maybe that's not organic, but it just looks really healthy to me. Hummus or how about organic kale? My wife recently went to, this is a couple of, actually a year ago, she says, you eat a lot of peanut butter and you don't need all the sugar that's in peanut butter, so... I'm going to get you new peanut butter. So she went to Trader Joe's and got me this new peanut butter. And this new peanut butter, here's what you have to do with this peanut butter. It's like got oil on top 
and it's at the bottom, and you have to stir it up and then put it in the refrigerator. To me, I'm sorry, that's just not peanut butter. And so here's what happens with Workout Wayne. Workout Wayne is, is really, really excited about working out. Workout Wayne is just all into working out here to the expense of spending time with King Jesus and developing a relationship with him. Nothing wrong. I think we should all eat more fish and tilapia and salmon. I think that's a great idea. Unless you come to youth group, we're going to give you pizza. And so, and so what... As long as it's pepperoni, okay. So um, here's, here's what we, we take a look at. We have, have these good things. Working out is great. A career is awesome. You know, buying, being able to buy nice things is, is great as well. Having a job, having a faith system is great. But what happens in our culture here is, I don't believe we're going to carve statues and bow down to them. But when we believe, when we believe that a, a lie of the verb, that you are the center then what happens is we start making our own gods that maybe weren't like what was in the scriptures, but is very prevalent today. And what happens is it brings us downward and not upward in a relationship with him. That is incredibly dangerous. And so as we take a look, I think Psalm chapter 115 really, really teaches us some great truth about what it means to live for the glory of God and not walk in a life of idolatry. Because we are all prone to it. In chapter 115 of Psalm, it's a great psalm. Basically, we don't know too much about it. The things that we do know about it, first thing that we know is that it's a response to the idols that were being worshipped by the pagan cities that surrounded the city of Israel. You see, the Israelites were sent out into Babylonian captivity and then they were released to come back in. As they were released to come back in, what they were able to see while they were in captivity and when they came out of captivity is they were looking at these pagan cities that were around them and they saw them worshiping these false gods, these idols, bowing down to something other than Yahweh as the Bible teaches. Psalm 115 is a response to the idols that were prevalent at this time. It's also called to be a Halil psalm, which is basically this psalm was read after the Passover in celebration of who God is. A declaration of your, your faith in him. So there's a couple of things that I want us to see as we take a look in Psalm 115. First thing I want you to see is this, is that this psalmist comes to realize he dedicates himself. There is a dedication and the dedication is this. I am not the center. Take a look at verse one. Verse 1 says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us. First thing he comes out and says, he says two times. He says, not to us, not to us. Any times that you are told something twice, you better listen. When I was a kid, my brother and I, we would get in our room, we would close the door, we would get on the top of our dresser, and we would imitate Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Give a show of hands. Anybody remember Jimmy Superfly? Okay, there we go. He'd get on the top turnbuckle. He'd hold his hands out like this and he would jump and land on the person on the mat and he would pin him and that would be awesome. And Jimmy Superfly Sukkah was the greatest wrestler of all time. Well, my brother and I would go in our bedroom. We'd stand on the dresser. Now, this is what would happen. Before we would go upstairs, my dad would look at us. He would tell us four to five times, don't jump off your dresser. And that would mean you better listen, Right? You better listen. It's something important. Well, here's what, here's what dad would do. He, we would go upstairs. We wouldn't listen and we would jump. And let me just say this. The hand of discipline met the seat of fellowship. You understand what I'm saying? No time out in the rice household. No time out. 
And so here's what we're seeing in the first psalm. The psalmist starts off by simply stating this, not to us, O Lord, not to us. Remember the things that he had been seeing. He saw people bowing down to these false gods. He looked at the one true God of the universe who brought them back in out of, out of Babylonian captivity. He takes a look at him and he says, hey, listen, not to us, O Lord, not to us. Because the psalmist realizes that at the very center of idol worship is ourselves. It's not the idol. It's not the basketball or the travel team or the AU or the job. The very center of the issue is ourselves, not the idol itself. Not the stuff we ascribe ourselves to. I've said it before even here. The number one thing that gets in the way of our relationship with God is the thing that we look in the mirror every single day. And so the, the, the psalmist comes unbelievably right out of the gates and says, I've got a dedication. And my dedication is, is I am not the center. Why am I not the center? Because God, but to your name, give glory. That's my purpose in life. That's your purpose in life. He goes on to say, for the sake of your steadfast love. That word steadfast means immovable, fixed, unchangeable. Then he goes on to say, and your faithfulness. God, you are not going to turn away from me. You know, I think what happens when we take a look at the God that we serve is we must remember that God is not sitting in some swivel chair asking us to perform. So he's facing us if we do right and turning his back on us when we do wrong. Part of being in Christ, part of having a relationship with him is that God does not turn his back on his people, period. He's not in a swivel chair asking you to perform for him. We are qualified, we are delivered, and we are transferred based on Colossians 1, 12, and 13. And the, the psalmist comes out of the gate and says, listen, I'm not going to be the center, God. You're going to be the center. Why are you going to be the center? Because of your steadfast love. It's fixed, it's immovable, it is real, and your faithfulness. You never have turned your back on us. Yes, we went away into captivity, but you brought us back. And I'm going to give you glory for that, because that's what we do. Second thing he says in the sense, he makes a declaration. First he makes a dedication, then he makes a declaration. The declaration is this, I'm going to rest in the sovereign hand of God. I'm going to rest in the sovereign hand of God. Take a look at verse 2. Verse 2 is actually a quote of those that were looking at the Israelites and asking him this question in a mocking way. They asked him the question, what, why should the nation say, where is their God? So the question that they were asking was, you're in captivity. You're all of a sudden taken away. Where is your God? And they were asking it in a very rhetorical and a very mocking way. So the psalmist comes up. We're not sure who wrote it, his name, but he comes up and he says, hey, listen, I'm going to dedicate myself to where I'm not the center. It's your, you are the center. Then he comes up and he says, I'm going to make a declaration that I am going to rest in the sovereign hand of God that I'm going to rest there, and I pray that you rest there too. What does he say? Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. I think it's really important. I was talking to my brother the other day. I think it's really important that when we understand the sovereignty of God, how easy it is to rest at night knowing that God is completely 100% in control, regardless of wars, regardless of 9-11, regardless of whatever the issue is going on in our lives. The one thing that we have to understand and we must remember is that we must not allow the situation that we are going through rob us, rob us of the promises and the truths of God. 
Sometimes we can be very situational. We can have a situational ethics or a situational stand on who God is and his sovereignty because we interpret his sovereignty based on what happens in our own personal life. The beauty right here, the beauty right here is that God does what he pleases. And listen to me, listen to me. This may be hard, but, I, but it's beautiful if you just get it. He's always right. He is never wrong. It is outside of his character. It's outside of his ability to be wrong. He is always, always right. And he always knows what is best in your life. Even if, you, even if the healing of cancer doesn't happen. Even if the diagnosis of cancer does happen. Even if you don't get this job but that job. Or even if you don't get into this school and you really wanted to go to that school. God is completely sovereign and he does what he pleases. And I pray that it would be great rest for your soul. And that you would be like this psalm and you would declare. Our God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. Blessed be his name. Third thing I think he says in this psalm is he gives a realization. He gives a realization in verse number four. Here he is, he's talking about the idols that they're bowing down to. First thing he says in verse four, it says, their idols, look at it, I love the pronoun. Look, he's their idols. It's their, it's not mine, because guess what? In verse one, I am dedicating myself to the glory of God, not to us, not to us, I'm not the center. Then he comes and he's resting in the sovereignty of God. And then he comes and he says, I'm going to reveal to you the wayward ways of these idols. I'm going to reveal to you that the idols that we make will not deliver because they can't. And then he says in verse 4, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them, here it is, this is dangerous. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. See here, I don't want to be career Chris. And I don't want to be AAU Andy. And I don't want to be name brand Nancy. I don't want to be those people. I don't want to be religious Reggie. I don't want to be workout Wayne. I want to be a, a disciple of the most high God. And here this psalmist comes in to reveal to us that the idols we make will never deliver because it's impossible for them to do so. It says, they have mouths, they can't talk. Eyes, but they can't see. Ears, but they can't hear. I am pretty, pretty excited to play golf. I, I like to play golf. A couple of years ago, my wife got me this right here for our anniversary. This is the great, not, not the big bird, this is the great big Bertha Hawkeye driver. Can everybody say Amen. Amen. There we go. And so this right here, I believed 10 years ago for our anniversary, my wife bought me this driver. I believed truly that this driver, honestly, I'm telling you, I had an undue affection. I'll just tell you right now, I was very, very obsessed with golf. I figured if I just had this driver, if I had the great big Bertha Hawkeye driver, 8.5 degree loft, then I could play golf and I would shave at least 10 strokes off my game. And so here's what happened. I got my great big Bertha Hawkeye driver. She surprised me. She got it for me. And I just like, I could not wait to go to the driving range and hit this baby. I was like, this right here is going to be my savior for my golf game. And so I went to the driving range and I teed the first ball up. And I'm like, oh baby, this is unbelievable. I'm down in my stance. Okay, ball's in the front. 
I'm up there and I swing and I didn't really hit it very good. And it's about four, four hits later. And here it was on ball number five, I was getting ready to hit it. I was at the Golfin Dolphin in Emerald Isle. And I sat there and I was like, I was like, okay, this baby's gone. I'm taking it to, to at least 300 right now. Okay. And here's what happens. Backswing is good. Come all the way through. And then all of a sudden I saw the club head of this club right here go a hundred yards in the air. And I was stuck holding this part in my hand. I looked up and was like, it's ruined. My, 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 it's over. I, mean, I, I just whistled really loud. I can whistle really loud. I whistled really loud, told everybody to stop hitting. I ran out into the range to the 100-yard marker, and I got my head of my golf club, and I came running back, and I'm like, I cannot believe that I just got the best golf club in my entire world, and five hits into it, the golf head went farther than the golf ball. <laughs> Hold on, there's more. So then I decided, you know what I'm going to do? There's nothing I can do about it. I'm going to use my other driver. Because this is the one that I've been using, and so I'll just go ahead and use this. Second ball, second ball, what happened? The club head went 50 yards. It, listen to me, it happened again. What's our lesson this morning? Don't give Matt your golf clubs. Here's, here's, here's what happened, here's what happened, here's what happened. The golf head went 100 yards. I had to run out, go get it. The person in the little golf cart came by and said, uh, can you please not hit anymore? I said, yeah, I, I will be sure not to do that anymore. Here's, here's the point. Here's the point right now. You understand very clearly that all of the idols, based on chapter, chapter 115, 4 through 8, you understand very clearly that they will always let us down. They cannot deliver. I wanted to give you a picture of the idols that we place in our life, whether it be sports, whether it be a relationship, here, clearly, whether it be a spouse. If we place them as an ultimate thing, listen, it's going to end really bad in our relationship with King Jesus. Not only does he have a a realization, but he has an invitation. The invitation is this. The invitation is is found in 9 through 11. And let's take a look at 9 through 11. Oh, Israel. So he comes back. He reveals who those idols are. He stops and he says, oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He's looking at the whole covenant community that God, God's promised people. His covenant has been made with the nation of Israel and it's still available today. And here he, here he comes and he says, Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. I want you to place your faith in him. I want you to walk with him. Then he goes on and he says in, verse, in the second part of the verse, He is our help and our shield. He will help us. He will protect us. He will take care of us. He goes on in verse 10. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. Those were the religious leaders of the day. I don't want you to just have religion. I want you to have a faith. I want you to have a system of belief that is based on the God of creation. I want you to trust too. He gives another invitation. Look at verse 11. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He says it again. He is their help and he is their shield. He said it three times. He is their help and he is their shield. He told it to Israel, he told it to the house of Aaron, and he told it to all who fear the Lord. Do you know who he left out? He didn't leave out anybody. He gave this beautiful, beautiful invitation to say, I want you to trust. I want you to trust, and I want you to trust in Jesus. I want you to trust in the God of heaven. And that's what I want you to believe in. Um, June 13th, 2013, will be a day that I will remember the rest of my life. I'm a dad of four. Four kids. 
Two of my kids, Andrew and Molly, have placed their faith in Christ and have had the opportunity to baptize them. On, on June the 13th, I went to my son's room. It's Jake and Luke. They're my younger boys. They're, they're seven and five. And I was tucking them in at night. And we were doing our do- devotions and our prayer and tickling and all of that kind of stuff. And I just sat there and I, I got ready to leave the room. And, and Luke looked at me and said, Dad, when are you going to be in your office so that I can go talk to you like Molly did? And Luke had this idea in his head that Molly came to my office. I have an office in the house and that she came to my office when she wanted to give her life to Christ. And Luke had this idea that I needed to be in there and he needed to come in there for that to happen. And so I just told him really quick, I said, Luke, but you don't, you don't have to wait for dad to go to the office. I mean, you, you can pray with dad. You can, you can pray without dad. Um, what do you want to talk? He says, uh, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think about it. I went into Molly's room. I was praying with Molly, talking to my little girl in the bed. And we were saying, I said, Molly... We need to pray right now for Luke. Because I really, truly believe that Luke is getting ready to give his life to Christ. I think it's close, babe. I think we need to pray. So we prayed right now. She prayed. I prayed. We prayed, Jesus, would you save Luke? Will you just allow him to trust in you for his salvation? I came out of Molly's room, getting ready to go downstairs. Luke is standing at the door. He's like, hello. I said, buddy, why are you up? And he said, I just asked Jesus to save me two times. (laughs) And I said, what what does it mean to be saved? He said, repent and believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And then I got overwhelmed. I said, buddy, let's go talk about it. And then I went into his room, sat on his bed. And I just said, he said, I did it. I did it. I just asked him myself. I did it right there in my bed. And I said, buddy, let's go downstairs and talk to mom about it. Let's just go downstairs. And so we went downstairs. And I said, uh, Dana's like, what's going on? And I said, Luke Luke has something he wants to tell you. He said, I'm saved. (laughs) I got saved. And, uh, And he sat on the ground. And I said, do you get it, Luke? And he says, yeah, I do. I get it, dad. And he wept. He wept like a little seven-year-old going, I get it. I get as much as I'm supposed to get. So right there, we did what we do. We, we sat in a circle. We put on glory to God because that's his favorite song. And Luke just sang it all by himself. And we all just sat there and we just wept. Because why? Because somebody in our family trusted God. And I'm going to tell you something. There is an invitation. There's an invitation for us not to choose to follow the idol, but choose to follow him. And why do we get to do that? Well, go with me back to verses four through eight, if you will. See, the Bible says that they were created and we know that he was born of a virgin. The Bible says that they cannot speak and we know that he has spoken. You're holding it in your hand. The Bible says that they cannot see, but we look in Matthew chapter nine, verse 36, when Jesus looked upon the crowd And saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. That he was moved with compassion. Because they they saw. He saw that they didn't have a shepherd. So we know he can see. And it says that they, they cannot hear. But the Bible says in Psalm 34, 17. That the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. We know that they say they don't have hands. 
They have hands, but they cannot feel. We know that there is a God in heaven who we know made his full demonstration of who he is through King Jesus. And we know he has hands. And not only do we know he has hands, we know he has hands that have a scar right there in his wrist from a nail that was driven in for us. And it says they cannot walk, but we know that Jesus walked in a road called the Via Della Rosa, carrying a tree that was tied together, two pieces of a tree tied together so that we could trust. It also says that they didn't make a sound. And, and we also know that Jesus, with a very, very dry voice and bloody face, unrecognizable, which I stood in this place more than two or three months ago when I was over in Israel. That he stood and he hung on this cross. And though these idols, they have mouths, but they cannot speak Jesus spoke something beautiful and profound and he uttered a message and the word was very clear. It is finished. So don't be going back to the idols because they cannot deliver. They're incapable of it. Then he comes down and he says, here's a great proclamation. Now the next part talks about blessing, but Brian and I have talked about that two out of the last couple of weeks. We're going to skip over 12 through 16 or 12 through 15. Go to verse 16, and here's what it says. There was a proclamation, and the proclamation is this. We will praise the Lord forever and ever. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. God basically has placed us here, and he's allowed us to be his voice and his hands, to demonstrate, to tell, to share, to, to show people who he is. Because he's the real thing. Not like these idols. Verse 17 said, The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. And here it is right here. Verse 18. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So the psalmist comes out of seeing unbelievable idolatry going on. He sees all of this idolatry taking place. And he says, hey, listen, I'm going to dedicate myself to not being the center. I'm going to declare that you can trust in the sovereignty of God. I've come to realize that idols, they cannot deliver. They're incapable. And I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to trust. That's what the psalmist says. I'm going to invite you to trust. Gives a great invitation. And then he says, hey, listen, I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to proclaim that the Lord, he is good. And what do we say about this? Here's your big idea. There was no one like our God. This psalm right here shows us, us living here in the burbs, where we are being told that you're the center, you don't need to come to us, we're going to come to you. My grandmother, it took her 25 minutes to get to one grocery store where she lived. Guys, it doesn't take us 25 minutes to get anywhere, really, in terms of things that we need, things that we can get. But let's make sure we don't allow those things, those good things that God gives us, to become an ultimate thing. Let's make sure that we realize that there was no one like our God. And let's trust him. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you so much for the beauty of this day and the beauty of the time that you've given us. I pray that you would be honored. I pray that you would be glorified. And I pray, God, that you and you alone would allow us to be your hands and your feet and that you would use us for great things. You're so good to us. And sometimes, Lord, we take the good things you bless us with and turn them into just... God thinks. 
And so we're just praying, God, that you will help us not to make the things you give us an ultimate thing. And that, Lord, we would realize that there is no God like you. There is no other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.